Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. It seems that at least part of the reason that the Gilgo Beach murder cases languished for so long is because the victims in those cases were sex workers. Dottie Laster is an expert in sex trafficking. Uh, She works with and consults law enforcement on the investigation of those cases. And she also worked with and advised the families, some of the families in the Gilgo Beach cases. Dottie and I had a conversation about the impact of sex trafficking on those who are trafficked and also about the intersection between sex work, such as that that the Gilgo Beach victims were involved in, and sex trafficking. Here I am with Dottie Laster. Dottie Laster, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. You were trained by the Department of Justice to educate law enforcement in the field of human trafficking. What are you teaching police officers and other law enforcement officers to do or to look out for? What's missing, in your view, uh, in their treatment and handling of these kinds of cases? Well, thank you for having me. And yes, I was so fortunate back in 2004 to be selected among with probably only 80 people in the U.S. that were trained by the Department of Justice to train law enforcement and others on the issue of human trafficking. And so I have some really specific, unique training, which I used to build human trafficking task forces in Houston, Texas, San Antonio, Austin, and then Orange County, Los Angeles, and San Diego counties, California. So I was in early, I got some great opportunities, and I still, to this day, through my own company, train law enforcement. I'm soon to go up into Chicago in a partnership with Northwestern University to train executive law enforcement officers, meaning the leaders of many departments on this issue. It's very important to all communities. Define trafficking. My sense of it and, you know, my layman's definition would be it's just another word for slavery. How do you define it? When you are telling people what trafficking is, what do you tell them? You're absolutely correct. It is a wrong word. Sadly, we got stuck with it due to some laws outside the United States that use the word trafficking. So here we confuse it with smuggling and all kinds of other things. But you're right. It's just slavery. Slavery didn't go away, it just morphed. And you see Frederick Douglass behind me here, he goes everywhere I go because um, he escaped slavery. And I use his words to define what we're talking about today. So human trafficking in the statutes in the US, both state and federal, is anyone held in service of another through force, fraud, or coercion for commercial sex or forced labor. So anyone held in service of another through force, fraud, or coercion. And coercion is the big thing that brings us to this case because coercion can be threats, it could be psychological. In fact, money is often used as coercion, which is why I say when you get any commercial sex, anytime sex is being sold, whether it's stripping, porn, or prostitution, It's a huge red flag that most of the times you're going to find trafficking. Do you think that, and I want to talk to you about the Gilgo Beach case in a moment, but 
Do you think that sex work is ever consensual or is it in your view, does it in your view always involve some element of coercion? Yes, I do believe it's always coercion because if there wasn't money being exchanged, the folks wouldn't be having sex. So it's buying someone's body and there's different levels of coercion, but the law states coercion and anyone involved is responsible the same. So the buyer, the seller, the person that transport, the person that advertises, the person that benefits in any way from the exploitation of another person is considered responsible to the same as the one that hurt them or killed them. It's, it's, Similar to the laws, if you rob a bank and you just happen to have driven the car, you're responsible the same as the guy that shot someone inside the bank. The, the laws were set up before we identified trafficking, and the human trafficking statutes gather those laws together and put them in the Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2000. You've been involved in the Gilgo Beach murder case. Uh, you got involved very early on to assist some of the families of the victims. Talk to us about your involvement in that case. How did it first touch you? I first want to say I was truly honored looking back now that I was there and, and asked to be a part of it, although deeply saddened. And, and certainly words don't describe the horror of this case from all levels, not even simply the murders, but all parts of it. So I was involved when Megan Waterman was still missing. And someone reached out to me because of the commercial sex. We, we had known that she had been being prostituted and that she went missing from a hotel. And so I uh, was reached out to by a nonprofit called Avaz and asked to help the Waterman family find her. And so we did. It also intersected with Shannon Gilbert being missing from the same area. And so I was also working with Shannon Gilbert's family to find her. Just simple things like the, the police weren't supposed to be searching. They were actually kind of refusing to do some of the things with canines and stuff like that. And, you know, Shannon's family asking them to do a training exercise in that area instead of officially searching is what led to Shannon's I mean, we're led to Megan's discovery. It's amazing how many tricks and barriers we had to go through just to get simple things like that done, which led to dramatic results. It's actually why I started where I did with you, because your background is in training law enforcement and how to deal with uh, cases involving trafficked people, victims of trafficking. But yet the families in this case really seem to have had a hard time penetrating law enforcement for a number of reasons. I know that we had police department that didn't want the FBI involved for some time because of the former police chief's own legal troubles. But separate from that, Dottie, talk to us a bit about what these families encountered when they tried to get law enforcement to look out for these missing women. What kinds of reactions did they, did they get? We had varied from Megan's hometown, a smaller department that they actually knew her and families knew each other. They were very proactive with missing persons and doing from their end what was possible. Some of the other victims, not so much. It was very difficult to get an effective search. There, there may have been some searches, but 
Shannon's earring was found by her sisters days later outside on a boardwalk from the house she was last seen, even though law enforcement said they searched for her. And you're kind of like, but it's a single man with no women living there. And there's an earring that we now have her picture with the earring on and no one noticed that. So there were simple things that, again, that led to dramatic results once they were discovered. When I got to the case when they were still missing, it was almost like they should expect to go missing. They were all believed to have made this decision on their own without coercion or force or or any type of uh, exploitation, even though there were so many people around them. And I think that was one part of the attitude problem of everyone involved in the case, the media, the the police, the, even the community in some parts. The next thing is that this misunderstanding of, of them somehow being empowered because they sold their body, it's, it's quite the opposite to that. They had no power. They had no power to say who they had sex with when they worked. None of them had money, even though, you know, you think prostitution is lucrative. It is, but not for the person selling their body. So many things around them were harsh and mean. We always knew Shannon wasn't a body when she'd been found because the person that claimed to be her boyfriend, which I would say I would not guess that was so, um, had broken her jaw. So we knew each one that was found that there wasn't that metal plate in her jaw. She was reported to have tried to go to school online before online was a thing. She had moved and tried to get away from him and he broke down the door, according to her sisters. So when you really understood where they had come from, you understood the story wasn't being told truthfully. When we um, learn more now about Megan, she was clearly, clearly protecting her daughter and her family. And she was brutalized by multiple people. When I came to this case, when they did start finding the bodies, and I actually one of the news agencies flew me up there. The headlines were literally hookers and serial killer. And it was so painful to the families. Just those headlines would come out over and over with each new discovery. And my goal at that point was to at least advocate for them as the best I could so people would understand these were sisters, daughters, mothers. They were loved. They were missed. People were searching for them. And, you know, I still advocate not all of them were there willingly. And I wish that would be looked into further so we'd have proof of that. As I understand it, in some of these cases, because these women were sex workers, the families couldn't even file missing persons reports in you know, the, a period of time that would have made a search really uh, uh, valuable. Uh, if it is someone who is not identified as a sex worker, there's a shorter period of time. If it's a sex worker, they wait, I think, 10 days or something I saw in one report. Is that sort of disparity widespread, Dottie? Because if it is, that's why so many you don't find so many of these people. If you don't start looking for 10 days, then a lot of the Tra- the, the, it, the case is going to go cold. The, the, the track will go cold. Am I right? You are correct. And to give a little background, most police departments consider missing persons a civil matter, not even a law enforcement matter, which might explain why no one gathered evidence of Shannon's earring where it was found and things like that. It's a misunderstanding about when to start searching for a missing person. I'm sure each jurisdiction has a little bit of different procedure and policy, but there is no wait as sometimes it's portrayed on TV and stuff, especially if you have a minor, a teenager, or someone that is clearly vulnerable as all these women were. 
clearly they were already in a dangerous, precarious situation. And so sometimes it's easier to blame the victim. I, I swear our society is the best at that. And I love where I live. I love what I do, but I've seen problems that we default. And in this case was such a stunning example of blame the victim. They should have known, well, of course they're missing. Of course a serial killer got them. Look what they were doing. Well, when you dig back into it, Megan's daughter reported being harmed if she didn't go out. And she was only three at the time. When you learn some of the other ones, if you look at Shannon, most all pictures you see of her, there's bruises under her makeup. And then we know about the broken jaw. And then we know the driver pursued her and she was last seen with him chasing her. Why has he not been arrested? But they blame Shannon for her death, even though she called 911 and said they're going, you know, her, her call is for help because they're going to kill her. Why is that it? Like somehow it's her fault that she said they're going to kill me and she dies, it appears at that moment. In any other case, it would be investigated. It was, of course, the discovery of Shannon's body that led to these other gruesome discoveries. Talk to us, Dottie. What was it like trying to work with these families? Because they're really dealing with a dual trauma. There's the trauma of losing a loved one compounded with the trauma of having your loved one routinely disparaged and belittled and treated as if they're responsible for their own murder. What are some of the things that you did with and for these families to help them get through this? I wish I had better words to describe it, but the best I can do is to say this is like a nuclear explosion going off within your family. The destruction, the burning, the constant pain, I don't think we've developed words for, so that's the best I can do. It was destructive in such case that Shannon's family no longer exists. She only has a sister or two sisters left. One of the sisters and the mother are now dead violently. And I believe that that's part of the trauma. The other thing is how did I help them? My goal was to reduce as much trauma as I could and to be a go-between between these bad words and these horrible questions and the lack of movement and the family. So my goal was to absorb as much of that as I could and turn it around into their favor to, to change the perception of the victims, to change what was in our way of getting a solution. And I didn't, I didn't succeed at that, obviously. It took so long. But we did report some of the corruption and stuff before it was addressed. And I look back at our emails now, my, my team was amazing. They were right on it. We were correct that that was what was stopping it. And we had reached out to the FBI and asked them for help. And they responded, we should mail all our evidence certified letter to these people. We were trying to tell them that we're the problem. And so it was frustrating. And I, I just, thank goodness, the families didn't have to get some of those emails we did. So you were really a buffer for these families during this crisis. Correct. I sum it up as crisis management and helping them to make decisions, not making them for them, just guiding them to simplify the facts so they could know what to do next. Or if some of these bad actors were causing trouble or media was calling with questions that were disrespectful that I could intercede on that and then turn it around in their favor to advocate in every level for the victims and the families. The other thing is to listen, to, to be there and hear what they needed and try to make it happen. 
sometimes it was not so much solving the whole case, but but helping them with day-to-day problems that suddenly a simple decision is unable to be made because you're in so much trauma. I also led a team that investigated, gathered data, made reports, and we got them to law enforcement. In fact, I had just sent another one. Over all these 13 years, I continued to report. Every time there was a new change, I continued to report. I applaud the folks that came in and finally had folks that would support the detective. I believe that was there all the time doing his job, that there was a change up above him. And man, they were so quick. It was still 18 months, but after 13 years, that's lightning fast. And I applaud them. I I hope they have the right person. We've all agreed that the person arrested is presumed innocent until proven guilty. But that's all the family's ever asked for is to please investigate with diligence with respect and go where the facts led them. What can we do to at least do a better job of making people attuned or aware of the pervasiveness of this problem here? The first thing we need to do, the only place when you're dealing with commercial sex that we need to judge is the person buying it. Without that guy, none of this exists. The bad guys, they'll do bad things. They'll just do something else. I have spoken for 20 years on this and said, give me the willing prostituted woman. Show me where she's getting ahead. And I have not found that. I've found women that say I'm willing, but then when you get them out of it, they realize they had to say that to survive. Their brain had to not comprehend a lot of things in order to survive. So us out here, we need to stop blaming the victim. If someone is in commercial sex, we need to understand that they are in the most dangerous position in their life, in any of our lives we could ever imagine. We do need to know that the one that had total control is the buyer every time, whether it's stripping, pornography, or prostitution. In my beautiful state of Texas that I love so much, but I'm angry at, they collect a $5 tax off of every stripper dance in the state. So they're the biggest pimp. And somehow elected officials thought that was a good idea. Is there an argument to be made in jurisdictions where sex work is at least decriminalized or uh, legalized? Is there an argument to be made that then the state can put in better protections for these women? I would like to think so. But when I read where it is legal, the laws that they enacted sounded exactly like the trafficker playbook. The women couldn't leave the location where they were. They had to be seen regularly by a doctor, not of their choosing. Now, the buyers don't have to get tested or they're the ones that are most prolific, right? But they they put the, the people being sold, having to have all these medical exams and things like that. Um, they had to get only 50% of the money, but pay 100% of the expenses. So that's something people don't realize, even in the legal places. They say, oh, they're making all this money, but they don't keep any of it. Imagine any place where you get 100% of the expenses for 50% of the money. Before we go, I wonder if all of the attention that's being put on the Gilgo Beach case is actually going to change things for the investigation of crimes involving sex workers. I think now, after all of this time, all of this pain, all of the trauma that these families endured, and you rightly pointed out that the trauma of losing these victims gave rise to other traumas, some of which were fatal. Do you think that communities, law enforcement communities, and the 
public at large? Are we learning something? Are we learning a deeper sense of empathy? Will this case lead people to do better? That's a question for all of us to answer. I would say one way we would know if we learned anything is if Shannon's case is reopened and looked at it as if she did not cause her own death. Shannon Gilbert was blamed for her Her death. death has now been ruled a drowning. Correct. And on my training, my education and the law, everyone who participated in her being exploited is responsible the same. So I guess the law enforcement have to prove she was there through coercion. And maybe they haven't done that. But if they did, it doesn't matter how she died. It says anyone who dies due to the trafficking. And so that's the question. If we answer that, if we see those questions investigated, maybe we'll know if we learn something. Your work is really invaluable uh, in that you are touching a much neglected community and people who need you. So thank you for raising awareness and thank you for spending time with me here today. And thank you for what you're doing for these families. Um, they, they, they certainly needed an ally like you. It's my honor. And for families out there, because I know the next question would be, what can we do? I created a little book on my website called 55 Things Parents and Grandparents Should Know. And if they would read that, maybe they won't be in the next case. There's indicators of this happening and what to do about it. Dottie, the work you're doing is important. It's necessary. You are saving people. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for being here with me today. I appreciate the conversation. It's been a pleasure. 